Brenda Drost was quoting from one of her father's messages about faith. He was a pastor for a long time and he had passed away and she just yearned to hear her father again. So she started to reach out to the congregation that served up under him, that submitted to him. And she got a bunch of tapes together and started to listen to his messages about faith. The faith that he described, according to her, was a tenacious faith. And I believe it was a biblical faith, um, a faith that, that holds on no matter what. Um, this is the faith that he preached about, that this faith wouldn't allow us to die as what he called a mediocre Christian, but to have impact on a generation and impact on the kingdom of God. Um, is this the kind of faith you have? Reignite church. Is this the kind of faith you've even seen? And this message today will be focused on Paul's first letter to the church that he planted. And I'm just so encouraged by this letter because it's a pastor that loves his church. And that love just bleeds over. And the church loved their pastor. I like to believe that's always the case, but I'm telling you in this text, you're going to see the love that a pastor should have for his congregation. And in response to that love, a congregation should have to their pastors who slaving, sacrificing, submitting to God to pour out what the people need. That's the kind of love we see here. He planted this church, the Thessalonian church, a church full of pagan converts, people that were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping idols made by human hands. This is the church that Paul was called to preach to. But as he was preaching the gospel, he had to abruptly leave because there was a group that was raised up by some Jewish men to be an adversary toward the gospel and the message he was preaching. There's always going to be a group that raises up an adversary to try to challenge what God is doing. But in spite of this group, Paul said he was able to preach the gospel. And they were converted. But he said he endured strong opposition. I want you to know we need a faith that's going to be able to bear up against strong opposition. Yes. That opposition is coming from all sides. That's the nature of the business we're in, being called to follow Christ. But yet at the same time, he's saying in spite of the strong opposition, you were able to take a stand. I was able to take a stand for Christ. The foundational message of saving faith in Christ had been preached, but he understood that only a growing faith. It's great to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, but that's not where it should end. There's, there's a growing faith that he was trying to inspire that would prepare the church to stand against whatever, what is in store. Look at your neighbor and say, do you have a faith that's able to stand against anything? They needed encouragement. They needed sound Bible teaching. Because their mustard seed faith wouldn't equip them to be able to handle what was coming. The fiery darts of the devil. And that these things would get more intense. Paul came preaching good news, but he also came preaching the truth. <laughs> that, hey, things are not going to get better because you've accepted Christ. I'm here to tell you, not only are things not going to get better, but they're going to actually get worse. This is the kind of faith that our leaders should be inspiring in people. It's a young church, but I need you to understand the foundation of what this faith really looks like so we've got something we can build on. Yeah, yeah. 
a foundation that we can trust. But things will get more intense even as their faith deepened. I want to preach today from the subject define faith. But my subtitle is a faith that can stand against anything. The final message in our servant series, Redefine. Priest on Christ. Priest on truth. Priest on grace. Priest on peace. Priest on love. And we're closing out with faith. The church was not intended to just accept Christ and wait on his return. We were saved to grow in knowledge of the one who saved us, that personal relationship. We have starts with repentance, recognizing I'm a sinner in need of a savior and turning from those things and make it a profession of faith. But that's only the beginning of the Christian journey. I said that's only the beginning. Sanctification is the next step after being justified in Christ. A word that means a growth and maturity. Once I accept Christ as Lord and Savior, now I've got a desire to grow, to learn more about him. Because as I learn more about the Savior I'm following, guess what I do? I in turn learn more about who I am in Christ. It's a mutual benefit here that I'm preaching about. A process that begins when we accept Christ as Savior and Lord, but doesn't end until our earthly death. That means it's a pretty long time, most likely. God's expectation is that we would think, walk, and live by faith, that we would think, let that mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, that we would walk by faith and not by sight. And the just will live by faith. That the depth of our faith would be the bedrock, the foundation of our testimony. You can never have too much faith. Never heard anybody indicted for having too much faith. (laughs) I want to share some things from the previous two chapters of this letter that help us understand the significance of the seven verses that I'll be focusing on today. In chapter one, Paul said that the church put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the foundation now, the saving faith. Uh, There are a lot of people that say that I have faith, but we don't ask the question, faith in what? Faith in who? I've had some conversations with people, and you listen to us talk, it almost sounds the same. But when you investigate and you examine it, you realize it's not the same. My faith is in Jesus Christ, fully man and fully God, but they say, I don't believe Jesus Christ is God. Guess what? Our faith is not the same. So the foundation of this Thessalonian church, what gave them the capacity to love, and Paul the capacity to preach this love, was that he was saved in Jesus Christ. Not these false gods, not these gods made with human hands, not these gods that make you feel comfortable, almost like you accept it and just wait on heaven. But Jesus is a God who says, once you accept me, that's the beginning of the word. Pick up your cross and and follow me. I want somebody that's going to follow me, not just say they know me. Their, Their faith accepted this as the truth. The church accepted that Paul's message was not just mere words. He says, hey, these aren't just words that I'm throwing out to sound good, but these are the truth. And there was an authority, he says, and a power by way of the Holy Spirit that brought about a deep conviction is what he says. As as preachers, we can't preach something we don't believe. (laughs) I'm not just a a salesman. I'm a (laughs) I'm a satisfied customer. And with that, there's an authority, there's a power, and there's a depth that comes with it. 
that believers can sense and see and are drawn to. I said they're drawn to. These are not mere words, but these were delivered with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deconviction. And the church, it says, became imitators. Yes. Imitators of the leaders mm. and of the Lord. I can't lead anybody if I'm not leading them in the Lord. So follow me as I follow Christ. Right. That's what you're imitating. Right. If I'm not following Christ, you shouldn't be imitating. Right. But Paul is saying this church, that's why I love them so much. Yes. They're not imitating me, but they're imitating the one that I'm following. This is the biblical faith that I'm talking about. They're imitating him as he follows Christ. And, and it says that they welcome the message with joy. Anybody that's preached or done ministry any amount of time know what it's like to preach and not feel like the message is received with joy. You preach long enough, you've had some situations where that's been the case. But I'm going to tell you, it's just so encouraging as a pastor. I'm almost sitting at a Thessalonica church as Paul is preaching, and I'm saying, man, I could imagine what it's like to see a bunch of smiling faces as you're preaching, and where you know as a preacher, even as the words are coming out, that the folks are receiving it yes, yes. with gladness. They're receiving it with joy. What an encouragement. That's the kind of church he was called to establish. Yes. And then I'm going to support him in. Yes. Their faith became known everywhere, the Apostle Paul says. So it wasn't the kind of faith that just nobody even knows whether I'm saved or not. It was the kind of faith to where they went around sharing what they had heard. And there was a life that they were living that was consistent with what they heard. And this was something that the people around them in a pagan nation responded to. I'm telling you that the true faith in Christ can soften even the hardest of hearts. I don't care what they're putting their hope and faith in, what they're believing, being able to put their gods up and put them down. But he said when they heard this message, people everywhere responded because your faith was authentic. This is what biblical faith looks like. You want to know whether you're defined by faith or not? You go into an environment and the environment changes. Be not conformed by evil, but we're in the world, but we're not of it. We're going in and we're changing it. That's the kind of faith he's seeing in the Thessalonian church. That's the kind of faith that he preached to the church. And they turned from idols to serve a true and living God, not a dead God, not a God we've got to go to a mausoleum to find, not a, not a God that we've got to buy at a thrift store, but a, a God that is the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, yes. The God who didn't stay dead but rose on the third day and yes. walked among us. Come the on. God that one day is coming back yes, to yes. judge the living and the dead. This is the God that they put their hope and faith in. And in chapter 2, see, it gets better. That was only chapter 1. In, in, in chapter 2, we see the depth of this growing faith in Paul. He was preaching in the midst of suffering, he said, being insulted in Philippi. It's not just preachers that are going to be insulted. It's not just preachers who are going to be challenged. Anybody that's representing him can expect it. But, but he goes on to say, with the help of God. <laughs> yeah, that's good news. That should have got somebody excited. As a believer, we're not doing this without help. He said God told him I was his help, but guess who his help is? He's going to use me to be a part of the process, but guess what? He ain't leaning and dependent on me. He's dependent on the one that's a very present help in trouble. And he said we dared to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition, not trying to please men, but to please God. I'm not trying to please men. I'm, I'm trying to please God. And he goes on to say, because this God can test my heart. Yes. 
You don't want to follow leaders that hearts can't stand up to examination by God. I'm not just preaching something that's mere words. I'm not just trying to hustle a group together. I'm not just trying to get my name out in the community. I'm not just trying to preach at conferences and natural conventions. But I'm here to tell you that God has called me. This is the assignment that I'm passionate about. These aren't mere words. And guess what? God knows my heart. You may not know my heart, but God knows my heart. And I'm going to have to give an account for what I do. This is what defined faith looks like. Every day we're living a life and recognizing that God is everywhere all at the same time. (laughs) Examining our hearts even as we live. Man, I need to get back on my test here. (laughs) Get a little too excited. But he loves the church. He loves the church so much that he was delighted not only to share the gospel with them, but share his life. There's a lot of leaders that may feel comfortable just sharing a message because it is a message that we enjoy sharing. But it's another thing to know that they've invested their lives in. I think that sets one church apart from the next church. Paul is saying, hey, look, I've not only just told you the message, but yet I've invested my life. Everything I have, I've invested in this. That's how committed I am. That's how sincere I am in my faith to Christ, that I'm willing to invest it all. My life is not my own, but it was bought with a price. I'm willing to lay down my own life and follow him. And I know he's called me to be a shepherd for you. So guess what that means? I'm willing to lay down my life for you. No greater thing can one man do than be willing to lay down his life for a friend. Woe to the pastor that's not willing to lay down his life for the cause of Christ. We hope we don't have to. (laughs) I will make that clear. But at the same time, we're willing if we need to. I'm willing to lay down my life. And and he said, the, the preacher now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they say they thank God continually because the church received the word of God, which you heard from us, and you accepted it. There's something that ignites faith in you when you know you share the message, and they accepted it and received it and are excited about it. I know I'm preaching, and you're not just going to take what I give you, walk out, and never use it again, but yet you're going to take everything that I've shared, and you're going to go out, and you're going to use it. You're going to be praying about God would open up an opportunity so you can be able to share the gospel in the way you heard it because you know what your life was like before you heard the message. You remember when he saved your sin-sick soul and you had no purpose, no direction, no hope, no encouragement. But you had people around you. You may have had all the things technically that people say you need, but yet you were empty. You remember those days. You want to know something that redefines that faith and re-energizes that faith in you every single day is never losing sight of where you came from. That's right. yeah. Yeah. I never lose sight of where I came from. That's right. You became imitators of God's churches who were in Christ Jesus and you suffered for your own countrymen. Church, I love you, Thessalonian church, because you suffered. Those that suffer with me reign with me. You've suffered for the faith already and you in the infancy of your faith, but you're already suffering. And guess what? It's not at the hands of the outsiders. It's the hands of your own countrymen. The folks that say they love you, that come alongside you, that say I'm here to help, that you see every day, you know their face, you know their voice. Those are the very ones sometimes that will be an obstacle to your faith. But thankfully, he's not leaning and depending on our countrymen. He says, I'm teaching you to lean and depend on God and trust that he's going to send you some countrymen that are going to aid you and help you on the journey. 
the same things those church suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus Christ. You Thessalonian church are enduring the very same things that Christ endured as the Jews turned him over to be crucified. Nobody wants to hear that. That's the kind of faith he wants us to be able to have. That we'll be able to understand that Christ is not asking us to endure anything he has not already endured for us. So let's get to the text that I'm dealing with, the seven verses. <laughs> As a Baptist, that was just my introduction, praise the Lord. <laughs> so first... Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. Verse 6 says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you're standing fast in the Lord, and for now we really live is what some translations say. Almost like he couldn't live apart from seeing the church respond in the right way. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see your face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Clear the way so we might come to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another as for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts. Look at your neighbor and say, establish your hearts. It's the heart that needs to change. Establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I want to talk to you today about three points. The first point is that God's faith encourages. The second point is that God's faith, growing faith glorifies God. And the third thing is growing faith is in response to prayer. So growing faith encourages. This is the only place in the Greek for this phrase to be used by Paul for anything other than the gospel. So I want you to understand when he says good news, this is the only time that Paul has used that phrase. For something outside of the gospel, which means he doesn't elevate it to the level of the good news, because in order to have faith, you got to have faith in good news. But what he is saying is that it seems as if this is on a similar level because their lives are being changed by this message. They've heard it and come to faith, but now we're seeing evidence in the life they're living. So this is a different kind of good news, but it's up on that level because things are being changed. Although I understand that technically this is true. It's not, he's not talking about the gospel. But the gospel is the source of the three things that the leaders are encouraged by. It says we're encouraged by your faith. It's the gospel that planted the seed and nurtured the faith response. Apart from the gospel, there wouldn't be any faith. It's the gospel that introduced them to authentic love, which enables them to love themselves and others. It's the gospel that allowed them to stand firm in the Lord that they're encouraged and now are able to really live. It's because of what he's seeing. Because the faith you have received is preserving, protecting, and empowering you to keep God as your number one priority. And finally, it's the gospel that stokes the leader's fire, that longs, longs to see them. And the hunger and thirst for truth that the church can't wait to see and hear more about the great King Jesus. This is the faith we're talking about. 
This is the evidence of a deep-knit faith. In verse 7, Paul talks about all their distress and affliction, but he was comforted through the church's faith. Ministry is hard, it's challenging, you're going to deal with affliction, you're going to deal with distress, but he's saying that to see you acting on your faith is a comfort to me. I don't want to have to suffer. I don't want to deal with this affliction, but I want to tell you the only way I'm able to endure it is because I know that what I poured out to you yes. is not in vain. Yes. That you're actually receiving on fertile ground what it is I've shared and you're actually living it and I'm watching you grow. Yeah. So in the midst of the affliction and the suffering, somehow in God's miracle work and power, I'm able to rejoice in the midst of it. Yeah. This maybe helps us to better understand when Paul says rejoice in suffering. Because with suffering comes perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Romans chapter 5. A.W. Tozer said this, before God can use a person greatly, he must first allow the person to be hurt deeply. Yeah, I know. Folks looked up when they heard that. <laughs> this isn't because God is mean, but because he knows that we can't comfort others unless we have been comforted ourselves. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the same comfort that we ourselves have received from God. For just as the suffering of Christ overflowed to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows, almost as if I can't be fully used by God unless I've got something that I've endured for his sake because there's a depth of experience that comes with that that resonates with the people I'll be called to reach. That's why the applications for pastors are going down <laughs> because people understand that that's part of the job description. A growing faith glorifies God. The earlier chapter spoke about this amazing ministry under fire that Paul and his team had sold. He could have easily exalted himself and praised his own work celebrated the fruit of his ministry, but his natural response was to not puff himself up, but to lift God up. I'm giving thanksgiving to God because of what I see in you, because I understand that all that I was able to do was only because of what God's done, and all that you're able to do is only because what God has done in your life. So as much as I feel good about initiating it, I understand that my role in it is only as an instrument for God. Our natural response in this redefined faith is not to puff ourselves up when things go well, but to exalt the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, this text is all about glorifying God. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? We rejoice. We celebrate successes in the church in your individual lives in the area of faith because we know it's only by God's grace. It's only by God's grace. I want to I talk about something that I, I wasn't real sure if I should talk about, but God led me to go here. I could have talked about the Roman centurion who went to Jesus because his servant was at the point of death and asked Jesus to just speak a word and his servant would be healed. I could have talked about the Ethiopian eunuch that was just reading the scriptures but not really understanding much, but something kept him reading. And once he got some sense of what it was saying, said, why can't I be baptized now? I could talk about that kind of faith, but that's not where he led me. He led me to Acts 26 to talk about Paul's account in front of King Agrippa. 
So Acts, Acts 25 verses 23 through chapter 26 is what deals with that. And it's Paul's testimony to King Agrippa, the high-ranking officials and the leading men in the city. Paul stood in front of them knowing that his life was on the line. And at any moment, the king could just say, kill this man, and it was over. And he was in this huge auditorium, and he started to share what happened when he was on Damascus Road, heading to persecute Christians. And he said, I had this encounter with Jesus. And he shared in depth the testimony. And he said, I heard a voice from this blinded light say, why have thou persecuted me? And he shared his testimony, trying to convince the king and everybody else who was listening that they needed to accept the same Christ. And then all of a sudden, the Roman governor stepped in, Festus, and he interrupted Paul's defense in verse 24, and he says, you're out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, Paul quickly responds. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. I'm still being respectful here, but I'm standing up for Christ. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. Faith is not incompatible with reason. Reason can help faith stand up if you know how to present it. And he says, the king is familiar with these things and I can speak to him freely. Festus, I hear you interrupting, but guess what? I'm talking to the king right now. The king is my assignment. And the king, may, obviously, based on the text, we haven't heard him say a word. But yet at the same time, he seems to be fixed on this message. And Paul is saying he's understanding. The spirit has led me to believe that he is understanding what's being said here. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped the king's notice. Because this was not done at the corner. The gospel faces everywhere. You can't be a king and not know what Christ and Christ followers are doing. That's impossible. So I know you've heard the testimony. And King Agrippa, he asked, do you believe in the prophets? So now he's called him out. Do you believe in the prophets? And then he answers for him, I know you do. I'm talking about faith here. My life is on the line. I'm saying, look, you, you may not even be able to speak now because you're worried about what your kingdom is going to think. So I'm going to speak for you. Of course you do. And then, and then Agrippa steps up and he says, man, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? So why is he leading me here when somebody still seems not to be persuaded? It's because of the faith that allowed him to stand and present it in the first place. And to challenge the king facing death. This is the kind of faith that the Bible is teaching. And then Paul goes on to say short time, a long time. And then he shifts to prayer. All right, I've done all I can do, and I'm going to close. I've done all I can do, but now I'm turning to God in prayer right in front of you. I don't need you to get down on your knees. I don't need you to put your hands together. I don't even need you to close your eyes, but I'm going to shift to prayer even without asking you, can I pray for you? And, and, and then he says, I pray, God, that only you, not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for the chains. I know that the king and the governor and all these leading officials aren't the only ones listening. It's a huge auditorium. They hear that Paul is here. They hear that the leadership of the kingdom is here. Everybody's here. They're standing at the auditorium door, listening in, trying to get a sense of what's being said. So I know that it's not just the audience I can see. And I'm telling you, this is the faith that I'm talking about here. It's not just the audience that you know is there, but it's also the audience that you don't know is watching you. People are watching. And you got to be willing to take that stand, except for the change. I don't want them to have to suffer the way I've had to suffer. But if it's going to require that suffering in order for them to take a stand for you, your will be done. 
church is your faith one that can stand against anything. Went a little longer than I expected, but I believe I said the things that I needed to say. A faith that can see and do the impossible with God's help. A faith that is individual but recognizes a desperate need for community. God bless and keep you.